Welcome everybody to Journey of the Church here on Wednesday nights. Very grateful that you're here. I think it is really true that we, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And uh, just beautiful worship. Thank you so much for that, Roy and Laura. Let's give it up one more time for them. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. That's kind of what the heart of the message is tonight. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. But if you look around, one of us is not here tonight. One of us is not here. The dyslexic, the singer of all singers, the worshiper of all worshipers, the one and only Jeffrey Paul Rodriguez is not here tonight. He's actually crossing off. A bucket list item, yeah. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, he's actually miles and miles away on the other side of the United States in a strange and foreign land called Augusta, Georgia. And you may be like, what is he doing down south in Georgia? He's actually crossing off one of the items on his bucket list. He's at the Masters, which is a big, boring sleeping. Did I say that out loud? A big, great, exciting, exhilarating, thrilling golf tournament. So much fun, right? Golf. So much fun. So golf is a sport where if you want to watch it or play, you have to whisper. And uh, you're required to wear goofy clothes as well, so I'm told. And then thirdly, the whole object of golf is to hit and chip and tap, tap, tap a a tiny plastic ball into a hole in the ground. And people spend millions and millions of dollars to do this every single day. And you don't even break a sweat, so I don't even know why you call it a sport. To me, it's more like a, a hobby or a science. I'll be, I'll be kind and call it that. And the winner of the Masters and the whole, I don't know, tournament or whatever gets a green jacket. And that's great because that goes with everything in your whole wardrobe, right? A green jacket. You may feel, yeah, you may feel like I have a little bit of an animosity toward golf. I don't know if that came out at all. Uh, but golf is just not one of my fortes at all. I took a golf class in college, and Jeffrey Paul Rodriguez helped me. He's a golf pro, you know. He was a golf pro for like three years an excellent golfer, and he couldn't even help me. He couldn't even straighten out my hitting or whatever, chipping. I don't even know what you call it. I could do putt-putt because I did that at golf and stuff. I did that great, you know, with the castle or the windmill and all that. But when it comes to golf, I'm atrocious. Absolute failure. And the sad part is, like, name any sport. I can pick it up and I can, I can at least hang, in my own opinion, uh, but not golf. Definitely not Golf. But give me a ball, and we'll connect triangle passes and weave through the defense and send that ball past the keeper's outstretched arms up into the upper corner. There's this fluidity and beauty in that perfect, perfect unity and teamwork. 
Or, or give me a, a grounder hit hard, zipping across the, the diamond, and, and I'll field it and underhand toss it to the second baseman, and you'll zip it over to the first baseman, get that runner out by a mile. There's this fluidity and beauty in that perfect unity and teamwork. Or give me a, a pigskin, and I'll, I'll drop back. And hit you as you juke your defender and catch that ball. Not like Tom Brady two years ago in the Super Bowl right here. That is not how you catch a football. A couple weeks ago, Dustin, who idolizes Tom Brady, he worships Jesus. And then he also lifts up Tom Brady as well. He brought a picture of Tom Brady who he calls the goat. And I told him, you can't serve two masters, bro. You cannot serve two masters. Apparently that was a joke he had about Jeff, too. He's like, what are you doing at the Masters? You can only serve one Master, right? Dad joke. I know. Not mine. I'm not taking credit for that. But, but now, if you know nothing about sports, like you're like, I'm not a sports guy. I'm not a sports girl. I don't know all these phrases, triangle passes or pigskins or grounders. You probably are scratching your head in confusion. What, what are you talking about? But don't worry about it. The truth is when it comes to real sports... Real sports. There's this fluidity and beauty in that perfect unity and teamwork. There's this fluidity and beauty in that perfect unity and teamwork that's just absent from solo sports. It's nothing wrong with it, but it's just absent from solo sports or hobbies like golf. You know, Jesus actually calls us, calls us believers to live out a fluidity and beauty in perfect unity and teamwork. Now we aren't golfers sinking putts or figure skaters landing triple axles or bowlers knocking down pins solo, but we are one. We are one, a collective family of believers who live out this fluidity and beauty and perfect unity and teamwork. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And tonight in the Gospel of John chapter 17, as we close it up, we're closing up a long section of Scripture where we've been since chapter 13 when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And then there was all this talk about love and the Holy Spirit and prayer and abiding in Him and what is to come. The section, it began with filthy feet and a basin of water and Jesus derobed and loving the disciples into humility. And now it closes up with this fluidity and beauty in the perfect unity and teamwork, and of course, with the promise of future glory. So if you're able to stand tonight, let's read the first two verses of our text. We stand here because the word of God changes lives when it gets applied. Verse 20 of chapter 17 says, I am praying, this is Jesus speaking, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And God, we do believe that you sent Jesus take away the sins of the world, to give us new life and everlasting hope. I pray, God, you would speak to us tonight about maybe the areas where we aren't so one, where we aren't united in that perfect unity. 
where we're just doing stuff solo. But Lord, you've called us not to be lone wolves, but to be sheep who follow the shepherd. So we want to follow you, God. Our eyes and hearts and minds are open to you tonight. So do your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So let's look at that first verse. If you have your Bibles, go ahead, open them. You can follow along on your phones, whatever it is. But here's the first verse of our passage, verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So the disciples of Jesus are to carry on the ministry and mission of Jesus. And by doing so, they will see countless people come to trust in Jesus. Not only Jews, but Gentiles, non-Jews too. And not only folks in the first century, but countless people in countless places in countless periods of time. I want to do some table talk tonight so you can talk to the people around you at your table. Uh, if you're not with a, a couple people or people you like, get out of there and go to a different table. Uh, but I, I just want you to discuss the following question. Do you remember the moment of your conversion, if, if you have experienced this conversion, where you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you remember the moment of your conversion? And then secondly, who led you to believe in Jesus. So go ahead and briefly share uh, with the people around you. Ready? Go. Thank you all for sharing. I know it's it's not uh, may not be easy or maybe really fun to share this part. Uh, maybe awkward. But it's good. It's fun. Everyone loves talking about themselves and their own experience. For me, there was that speaker at junior high camp who told the funny story about the toilet seat covers. And then there was the electric guitarist of the worship band who had the backwards golf cap who led me through the sinner's prayer. But then there was my mom, and then my aunt, and then my grandparents. And then there was my youth pastor who had that bird wristwatch that would cuckoo at every hour on the hour. And then there were those Sunday school teachers, Mr. and Mrs. Adams. And then there were the camp counselors at Camp Camarillo who taught me about Jesus and, and his sacrifice for me. And then there was my second grade teacher, Mrs. Rukert, who taught me about the solar system but also I found out later she taught me about the ways of God. I found out later she's a, a Christian and she goes to Mount Cross Lutheran Church. And what I'm trying to say is to pinpoint one person at one point in time would be lacking, I suppose. Uh, because the truth is when anyone comes to faith, it's the concerted effort of countless people, of countless places in countless periods of time. And if we trace that back, that fluidity and beauty and that perfect unity and teamwork, if we were to trace it back, it would be like tracing the silken web of spiders that connect to countless webs of countless other spiders in countless places, in countless periods of time. 
But if we were to trace it back like tracing the silken webs of countless spiders that connect to countless webs of countless other spiders in countless places and countless periods of time, we would come to realize that all Christians, every single person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus in countless places, in countless periods of time, either directly or indirectly, it came through one of the original OG disciples or apostles. So you and I, if we proclaim faith in Jesus tonight, we have these people to thank. John and Peter and the woman at the well and Lazarus and the Gerasene demoniac. The concerted effort of these countless people in countless places in countless periods of time have led us to believe in Jesus. And now when I think about that, it makes me feel really small. But it makes me also feel really important and connected too. Like, oh man, I have this connection to, to Peter or Paul or the woman at the well. It's amazing. Verses 20 through 21 says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So thank God. For them and their testimony. I pray that they will all be one, united together in that fluidity and beauty and that perfect unity and teamwork. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus here, he prays for the unity of all believers. It's a unity that is made solid through obeying the truth of God's word, it looks just like, or it is a mirrored reflection of the inseparable. You cannot separate this unity that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even better, it doesn't just look like, or it's not just a mirror reflection of the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This unity of all believers, it is. It is union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the purpose or the whole reason for all of this unity is that the world might believe the Father sent the Son. And that means that Jesus is God's Son. That Jesus has come to take away the sin of the world. You know, when we are united as believers in perfect unity, we're less concerned about our little castles. We're less concerned about our little castles and we're more concerned about the kingdom of God. When we are united as believers in perfect unity, we're less concerned about loving ourselves first and we're more concerned about loving God and loving others. When we are united as believers in perfect unity, we're less concerned about our selfish wants and desires. We're more concerned about the needs of the needy. And something powerful, something transformative happens to the world watching. The world begins to see Jesus. They see Jesus, they see a love they haven't seen or tasted or experienced before, and they want it. They want it. Because it feels like, like a home, more homey than their own. Or it feels like the feeling they get caught up in when catching up 
with an old friend. Or it feels like a a truth they've always known to be true, but now here it is, and it's truer than everything they knew. It feels like this fluidity and beauty and the perfect unity and teamwork that they get to join in, that they get to be a part of. And I believe it because I've seen it. I believe it because I've seen it. The best tool of evangelism, the best tool of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, the best part of it, the most effective way, is believers in Jesus perfectly united. Everyone's got sob stories about jacked up churches and mean pastors and Sunday school teachers who are just horrible or abusive. The list goes on and on. I can't tell you how many people I talk to. I'm like, oh, how come your husband doesn't come to church? Oh, well, this happened to him as a kid and uh, he's never come back. Or, oh, this person really offended them, or they burned them, or they promised them this, and then they, they really hurt them, they betrayed them. All of it. We, we've all heard the stories and seen the headlines of bad churches and pastors and leadership. But I think it's time that we be perfectly united and one in following Jesus as the kingdom of God, not lifting up ourselves. Verse 22 says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. When we understand and believe and live for the work of God through Jesus, we get to share in that glory. And, you know, I get a kick out of those people, and it's usually guys who talk about their favorite sports teams. And they talk about their favorite sports teams as if they're actually on the sports team. Maybe you've heard that guy. He's like, oh, man, we've got such a good lineup this year. We hit so many home runs last night. We really got good chemistry in the clubhouse. The order, the batting lineup just looks great. We're doing so good. You know, we lost the other day. But, you know, we're, we're coming back for this three-game stretch. And, and we're, I'm like, really? I, I didn't see your name on the roster. Uh, But the difference is that for believers, we're actually on the team. We're actually on the team, and we're actually given glory by Jesus. And Laura's stoked about that. That's cool. Verses 23 and 24 says, I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. That's awesome. Just think about that. Like, Jesus, you want, you want me? Yeah, but the world is telling us you're not good enough. No one likes you. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not fit enough. Whatever it is, you don't make enough money. No, Jesus says, I, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Yeah, he's talking about the disciples, the, the 12 right there, or 11 right there. But uh, he's also talking about us later on. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. So why do we bicker and squabble? Why? If God loves each of us as if there were only one of us, why do we puff ourselves up over how big our churches is, how, how filled our seats are, how loaded our budgets are, how successful we think our events are? Because this ain't a business. 
for exploitation. This is not a product or multi-level marketing scheme. This is not a contest of whose church is bigger or better. It's about the kingdom, not our little castles. It's about the poor, the needy, the broken, the widows, the homeless, actually finding a home in the church. It's about the ordinary and mundane who in Christ don't look so ordinary and mundane after all. It's about the body of Christ, not dismembered and lifeless, but moving, breathing, active, and alive, in sync to the heartbeat of Jesus. It's about the God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you and for me and for the world around us, countless people of countless places and countless periods of history. And when we put down the charade of playing church and playing faith and playing Christian, and when we pick up perfect unity, that fluidity and that beauty and that perfect unity and teamwork, the world will know by our actions of love and truth, they will know that Jesus is Lord. So let's have another tough question tonight. What concrete action can you take to be united with believers in perfect unity? And then what changes are you willing to make in your life to be united with other believers? Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be united and care and love other people. We absolutely need to. But when it comes to the family of faith, we need to be united so that we can be one force. So go ahead and, and dissect this question and answer it as best as you can. I made a, a list of just a couple of things while you guys were talking in your groups. I'm sure you came up with some great stuff. Um, but here's a couple of things just uh, real quick. Concrete action that we can take to, to live in this perfect unity with other believers is, number one, I think, keep your word. If you're going to do something and you told people you're going to do something, like, do it. Uh, show up. Show up. I mean, I'm, I'm not tallying how many times you're here on a Wednesday or Sunday, but I know the more you show up, the more we can be in unity because we can know what's going on in each other's lives. We hold each other accountable. We can help each other when we're feeling down. And we, we begin to, to notice something's, something's up. Uh, with that, check in. If you haven't seen somebody for a couple of weeks or months or a year or even just, you know, a couple of days, check in. Don't just wait for, like, the pastors to do, well, that's your job. Well, no, isn't it your job too? Like, we're all part of the church. We're all supposed to be united together. Like, let's all do that. And I know this church is really good at doing that, but let's continue to do that. Um, because there's so many people sometimes that just slip through the cracks. And it's like, oh, my gosh, remember her, remember him. And I haven't talked to them in so long. And it's like, I don't have their phone number. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe you can reach out and, and, and be consistent. That's another one. Be consistent with who you are and how you live your life. Be loving. Uh, I was told yesterday um, by Christy. She's uh, one of the ladies who sings up here. She's got a great voice. And uh, she was telling me, I guess we go to the same uh, gym or whatever. I swim at the Y. And she's like, oh, yeah, the ladies at the front desk, they know you and your wife. They say, you guys are, like, the nicest people ever. I'm like, really? Like, I hardly ever talk to them. All I did was, like, smile and say, hello, how's it going, you know? And, like, I don't know their names or anything, but they're like, 
yeah, but there's so many, like, mean people or grouchy people out there in the world. And I'm like, I know I can be mean and grouchy, too, so I'm not trying to lift myself up. It's probably more my wife who's the nice, uh, happy, loving one. But uh, another thing is listen. Listen to people. Don't just wait to, like, respond and think about what you're going to say. Actually listen to what they're saying. And then help, serve, give. You know, that's, that's really important. Well, let's continue on, verses 25 through 26. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. I pray that our desire would be like the desire of Jesus here in verse 26, that as Jesus continues to reveal the Father to the disciples, I pray that we would continue to reveal the hope of Jesus to this world. And you know, when you think about it, even after the ministry and the death and the resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus, the whole entire world had not yet come to experience God. Sure, there may have been a, a thousands of people in Palestine who had directly come to experience God through Jesus, but beyond that, what was his impact? What well, was massive? It was massive because by focusing on a few people, by focusing on a few in fluidity and beauty and that perfect unity and teamwork, Jesus was able to ensure that his, the lasting nature of his mission, that it would, it would last throughout the ages. But you may ask, why only 12? Well, 12 minus 1 because Judas betrayed. Spoiler alert. But seriously, why didn't Jesus just expand his growing entourage and create a, a mass movement I mean, he was performing miracles, right? Healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the, to the deaf. He was giving strength to the paralytic, multiplying loaves of bread and fish, casting out demons, raising the dead. So why didn't he take the show on the road? A world tour, sold out shows in every city, every night. Well, John 2, 23 and 25 captures Jesus' caution when the people swarm to him because of his marvelous signs. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Jesus understood that the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest on Palm Sunday, were the same people who were going to be shouting, crucify him, five days later on Good Friday. Instead, Jesus built his ministry on a select, perfectly united few, a few who had formed the superstructure of his future kingdom. But just because Jesus focused much of his attention on a few doesn't mean he didn't want to reach the multitudes. You know, countless people in countless places in countless periods of time. It's just the opposite, actually. Eugene Peterson, the author of the message paraphrase of the Bible, puts it cleverly. Jesus restricted nine-tenths of his ministry 
to Jews. That is a lot if you're not a math major. Jesus restricted nine-tenths of his ministry to 12 Jews because it was the only way to reach all Americans. That is, Jesus had enough vision to think small. He wasn't concerned with programs to reach the multitudes and with people. But he was concerned about the people who would reach the multitudes and the people that the multitudes would follow into faith. Focusing on a few did not limit his influence. It actually expanded it. And when Jesus ascended to the Father, he knew and could trust that there were 11 there were at least 11, at least 11 who could minister under the, under the authority of his name. And you do the math. You do the math. If there's at least the 11 times multiplication of his ministry, that's a lot. That's a lot. And if you look around, there are more than 11 of us here tonight. There are more than 11 of us here tonight because of them. There are more than 11 of us here who can also, at the very least, produce an 11 times multiplication of his ministry. I believe that when we are perfectly united, there's this fluidity and this beauty and that perfect unity and teamwork. And the world will be drawn to see and taste and experience a love they've never experienced before. A love that saved and has saved and will save countless people in countless places and countless periods of time. Just think about the legacy that you are leaving. Not just, you know, for your kids, maybe your grandkids, or people around you, your neighbors, but the people years and years to come. It's pretty fascinating when you begin to think about it. But it's only something that we can achieve when we are perfectly united. Uh, on Friday, we had uh, an eventful, eventful day, you know. I don't think anyone likes spending Friday nights at the urgent care or the ER, but uh, that's what comes with the territory, I guess. Uh, our little Zeke, a uh, little trooper, he's 13 months old now, uh, first time riding his bike outside, and uh, he's wearing his helmet, and he's trying to get over the garden hose. And, of course, I'm being the responsible parent, just letting him figure it out right? I'm watering the garden or something, and he's just trying, trying, trying. It's not going. And then he goes. He goes head over the handlebars, complete like flip, and then face first. I mean, he's wearing a helmet, but he's, he bashes his nose and teeth straight on the cement. Just right there. That's the crime scene right there. And then we, we rush him over to urgent care. But there's this moment before, like right after it happens, and both of us are just kind of like, okay, like we are united in this. Tara and I are both outside. Let's be calm. You grab Zeke. I'll grab a pack of peas. We'll grab a washcloth. He's going to be okay. And there's this perfect unity that is just like the grace of God that just overwhelms us to be like, not freaking out. Not throwing a fit. We go to the urgent care, and they're like, yeah, you could do, you know, a, you know, x-ray and all this stuff. But let's just see how it goes for the next couple of days. He looks like a, a raccoon. If you saw him on Sunday, he looks like a raccoon. His nose was, was swollen, black eyes, all that stuff. 
We go on Monday to the hospital for a, a scheduled visit for his occupational therapist. He was a NICU baby, so they have to track his development as he you know, grows up and stuff. And, and we're there, and he's doing great. He's doing all the games and playing and doing wonderful at all the, the things that the occupational therapist is asking him to do. And we're just about to leave, and he's crawling everywhere, and uh, he's crawling past one of those rolly chairs, and he hits his hand and slam right on his face. Again, the same spot. And there's blood everywhere. He's crying. We're like, oh. They rush to go get a doctor, a nurse, and then they're like, we really suggest that you go and get this all checked out. But there was, again, that perfect unity. That perfect unity where Tara and I are like, okay, this is okay. And I find that when that happens, because, man, we, we go through a bunch of junk. It's just, just being human, right? We go through the, the pits of despair. I heard about ladies' camp, and there was some real good breakthrough at the retreat. But there's tough stuff that we are all carrying and dealing with. But when we are perfectly united and we've got each other's backs and actually care and actually show up and are consistent and listen and love, what can stop us? We're more than 11 and we can continue this mission and ministry of Jesus because he's with us and we're not alone. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you pray for the disciples. And I thank you that you pray for us and that your word is enough for us. You are in us and with us. Your Holy Spirit guides us into the places we're afraid to go. But your Holy Spirit tonight, I feel, is drawing us into oneness that we would be one in the spirit and one with the Lord. And Father, we want to be united with the people, with the people who are difficult and the people who are easy. Because Lord, we know that we are difficult. But you love us, you died for us, you rose for us, and you have a great plan for our lives. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.